Uh, hello, guys. It's the other but nothing podcast. Before we start tracking each other like generator, only God knows where our king is safe. But one way or the other, he knows how to greet us with his presence. Maybe he's waiting for us now to win the league miraculously, to come in like a tea for the night and be like, ah, Modeo, I'm here. You put with Shege. But the show must go on, like I like to say, and it's the honor of our nothing podcast. The rest of the crew is available here with me. Um, Bolish is here. Bolish, I know that you want to go after LMAJ because you, you want to clear his dust that Benny is just too much. You should calm down. But before we get to that, it seems, how was the weekend over there? Uh, well, it was it was a bit of a uh, anticlimactic weekend because it was up and down. Yeah, there were exciting uh, uh, games all around, basketball games and the likes. But some of the some of the things that were supposed to provide some sort of excitement got to a point where you know F Formula One was anticlimactic to an extent. Yeah, there were some exciting matchups and that it was like anticlimactic. You know, the Premier League. I don't know if it's with Atal Adi Buguru they are selling in Premier League. We don't understand what's going on. But all in all, it was not a bad weekend. It was a bad weekend altogether. Uh, speaking of not being a bad weekend, let me say it was a great weekend. We saw you working with your shoulders over as soon as the Lakers won that game in convincing fashion. Like we could see you glowing like a peacock and everything. But I hope the assessment has you've come down to planet Earth with us. No, it was not about being a cocky or being peacocky as the case may be. But it's about the fact that some some people promised us that they were going to wipe us in six and uh we are hoping that they can keep to that promise of theirs. So it's just it's just calling it's just calling people out early before they can actually change out the narrative. So that's that's this, uh week. And well the weekend has given a lot. Uh we just saw the relegation battle produce twenty-one goals, if I'm not mistaken. That's that's crazy. Just within three matches. That's that's something we don't see every year, and it promises to be a good one tonight. Um, Kule, the weekend kept, keeps on giving. But after 33 years, I know we'll dive into that later. But Napoli are here and they're champions, and the rest of it is like, yeah, we didn't really want to win it anyway. We can have it. Yeah, to, to an extent, it was a bit anticlimactic anyway, because for all the wonderful things they've done. Felt like ultimately them winning the league, but not the fact that the rest were not really interested. But anyway, let's play. Okay, this okay. Let's give you this year. But this is a fantastic moment for Napoleon. Huge congratulations to them. And again, I think it's part of a weekend that was like up and down. Like there were so many. It started on the high, dropped on a bit of a low. So Saturday matches were not really that great and all. But just. Again, it's still another weekend to note anyway. And especially this Monday, whereby, as Bob Wright said, it goes galore. So that's definitely something. Um, Bolish mentioned the Formula 1 results earlier. So let's just take it. Because Bolish, if you... Miami Grand Prix, obviously, practices on Friday, qualifying Saturday, races off on Sunday. Then during qualifying, for some weird reason, Hamilton was out in um, Q2, Verstappen... From the cute, I think his car had issues and it was what started the race then. And you're like, Oh my god, it's going to be an exciting race. It's happening, it's starting things. Okay, so your parents is up there with um, Fernando Alonso, Carlos Sainz is also there. That they're the top three, just like 
And the minute you started the race, the minute the race started, next thing you saw was almost as if Verstappen was using a rocket and the rest of them were driving bike. And it just kept going. No stress, no problem. So, and, and I remember when you said it on this show before that, what, whatever it is that made Christian Hunter to say at the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix in Jeddah, hey, that to talk to the parents and Verstappen that, hey, slow down, slow down. We don't want to show them what we have yet. There's something that means that you still have me. Because uh, the, the funny part is when you get to that DRS straight zone, the ease mm. with which their car passes every other car is as if those cars are not moving. You will you'll be like, ah, they're taught to now. Like, ah, are you, aren't you trying? But it's just I think their car, they just have the superior car. They found a formula that has worked for the last three years. Because they've had the best car. Like, even the even the year that they stole from Hamilton, they had the best car. Hamilton was just, you know, able to compete. And that's what is very unknown about what Mercedes is doing. Not even give, providing a car that can compete. Because just giving a car that can maybe not even win the race, but at least be close by. And Hamilton will do the race. But we are having a situation whereby Hamilton can barely pass a, a, a car in ass. Hamilton can barely pass. Hamilton can never get close to... Aston Martin, and you're wondering what is going on. And Aston Martin is using the same engine with, uh, I think they're calling yes, it the same. Yes, same engine. Yes. So, so you begin to wonder what exactly is going on. So it's, it's a bit um, because the truth is, we've seen over the over the years. Maybe if Russell, George Russell, maybe if he builds more stamina and more experience, maybe we'll be able to a challenge. We've seen that Verstappen is a very very solid driver. He's a very good driver. That's to compete and make the championship interesting, you need someone like Hamilton to challenge him. But if you don't mm-hmm. have a car that can do it, there's duty to nothing you can do. So if you and we have a if we have a situation like last year where five races towards the end of the season, or that's what was done. We already knew what was going on. I, I I barely saw any race after like the sixth race of the season because I'm like, this is not it's not fun. It's not exciting for anyone if there's no competition. That's the excitement in Formula One where. You have a situation whereby going into the last race, going into the second last race, there's still probability that the first, second, and even third driver can win the championship. So it's sad, and but you just have to give kudos to Omar and the team and what they have done with that Red Bull car. And uh, you know, you know, if you have a fantastic driver and you have a fantastic car, it's just a recipe for success. You know, we had a situation like that where uh Vettel won four in a row with the same Red Bull car. Red Bull, yeah. Same- Back in back in the day, where he won for in Europe, because you have a superior can pair with a superior driver, you're just going to have that result. So, the 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 interesting the interesting part about the race is people like Magnussen, you know, seeing how they are maneuvering in the middle of the park. You know, maybe in the yeah. two more three more races, we'll see the standings and see you know, what's happening there. But the decided to make it interesting. Been, how, huh? how's that, uh, to be, how, I said, how's it to make it interesting since it was their home race and what have you? They did that to qualify, they did that during the race. Another, well. disappointing, another disappointing thing, you know, because three seasons ago, they were having so many problems and we were told that, ah, the reason why we are experiencing those, these many problems is because we are building our car as against the rule change coming in 2022. Yeah. And, we, and we said, okay, ah, okay, let's see what will happen. They say, ah, we, are, we are working on the car to ensure that the rule change that comes in 2022 is going to, you know, work in our favor. So, yes, this is in, we are come, sort of tanking like an NBA team, but just look out for us in 2022. 
then turn turn to the first two or three races. They you know they they race shoulder. They you know frolic with the big boys. If you want to bam bam for some mini races, then all of a sudden they just have, the engine start going off. Tire will remove. Uh, battery will. That's Ferrari. In case anyone is not. Yeah, of course. They just uh, capitulated after you know the promises and you know the promises they give. Well, they are always their car is always one of the best in their own race. The next race will be Nuki Monza. We'll see what their car can do. But if they are also uh, this, the, their team has also been very disappointing, considering the amount of anticipation they give to us from even 2021, and then you know they are coming to the rule change and all those things. So it's very, it's very uh, disappointing. But hopefully going forward, we'll see if other teams can step up their game. But I don't think anyone is you know coming close to Red Bull this year. The, the, the worst part about this is, um, for some weird reason, um, how do I put it? They keep telling us that um, Ferrari has um, something to show, and they keep changing team principles from Arva Beni to Binotto now to Frederick Vasso, and the same thing keeps happening. I wonder who they'll bring next. Um, actually, to correct, but the next race is in Italy, but it's not Ferrari's home race per se. It's in Emilia Romagna. Monza is still down the line. Um, LMJ, back in 2017, when after Liberty Media had bought Formula One and they had this, they had this meeting and they were like, oh, we need to make it more competitive. Things like Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull to continue to dominate. <laughs> let's put, let's bring the cap. Let's let's know. Let's let's take the cap. Let's bring the cap in. Nobody should go above a certain amount of money so that at least things like Alfa Romeo and the likes can even or even Alpine can make it successful. And Bullish mentioned something now that at the start of the season, we're, we're only about four races into the season. I'm already looking at about five races into the season. Like, oh god, am I saying going to win this year? That's not engaging for fans, that's not competitive. All the rule changes that you planned for five years for 2021 and 2022. Yes, the changes are here. But the competition that you promised us is still not here. One team is still like, yeah, a few teams, like, I beg your pardon, are still like, mm, it's just the, between the three of us. And the worst part is, before the rule changes, the other teams, at least amongst those three top teams, it was always alternating every week. Now, after the rule change, it just feels like, yeah, it's just this one team. Yes, we have to give kudos to Red Bull for doing a good job. But everything from Laon and Liberty Media promised us has not come to pass. Yeah, I think um, why Bullish was able to, to ask that question, uh, uh, where is all the competition that FIA, Liberty Media and everybody promised us? Because it almost feels like um, the reverse is now the case. Like, look at, look at um, Max Verstappen's very first championship. Like, it went to the very last race. And I think in Miami, the only intriguing moment for me was I think lap 52 where Perez was trying to wrestle with Max for a little bit, mm -hmm. and after that, it was just like the old race was just a drab. Like, the DRS was too easy. There was like, there's no driver, and I actually mean no driver, even brings Senna back. There's no driver that can defend Dakar. Like, how do you want to defend this? Like, it's so lame, it's so it's so effortless. Like, yes, I know Max is a very but the the gap between between the two the because I have to say two now, it is just Red Bull and others. The gap between the two builds is very different. It's almost like 
um a f1 car is racing against go karting and like it's it's at this point it's becoming ridiculous and i feel like whatever it is that has been going wrong in formula one has been going wrong for less than four years and they just need to retract back and try to amend things because at this point i think we are going to start losing viewership i've stopped paying vivid attention to formula one this season like i only watch highlights they brought an f1 fantasy game i only monitored my team for like two weeks like it's very ridiculous because we almost know the outcome of these races before it happened like when <laughs> was to start at nine position i was like oh finally maybe something is going to be jiggy about this race and trust me it should have even be better if he was like 13th or 14th position it would have provided more drama more allure to the old grand prix like i must be very sincere with you like this is one of the most disappointing grand prix i've seen like glory to god it wasn't in the midnight because i would have <laughs> i would have battered myself for staying up to watch it um, even from the, even from Formula One, because I know let me just scream. I can't, like imagine myself watching that last night, and I'm like, I don't think I can do this again. If the races are going to be like this, um, and down to the NBA. Um, before I even come to Kuli and listen, before I, um, Bullish, when the Nuggets won, they have the first two games of the Denver Phoenix series, so it felt like okay, it's going to be smooth sailing. The next thing you know, Chris Paul is injured and like the Suns have no chance in hell. But what the Phoenix Suns and Devin Booker and KD have shown us in the last two games is okay. Thank the rest of the NBA should thank their stars that they don't have the kind of depth that maybe a Denver or the South Boston Celtics have. If not, you guys will probably need the machine gun to stop us. Yeah, but it's a two-way, it's a two-way thing because usually most teams that have that are top heavy with top stars. That's why it's a salary cap. They usually don't have debt. You know, they usually end up having to rely on um, uh, what's it called the mid-level exception players, um, the buyout market to you know to get reinforcement. But you know this this was this thing was put together on the fly before I think it was February, end of mid-February or maybe yeah, and as I said, trade land, and as I said, a lot of teams, they, a lot of teams thought that they could qualify for playoffs this year. Yeah, so they didn't so have they didn't enough, time, yeah. enough time to, you know, do, um, uh, to moderate their bench. But I think we always knew or had an idea. There's a reason why, even though they didn't have a big bench, people still on the ratings and the rankings and even the odds to win the title, they were still high up. I think they were like, Second or the, even the most best odd in the West, even with their uh, what's it called with their lack of depth. So, like, I still I still feel they'll never win the series. I feel like playing in uh, the altitude of the my eye, playing without bench, without uh, as deep of a bench, and um, the the more complete team is the not get. Except there's a complement meltdown from Mike Malone and his and his score. I think, and they just confirmed that Jokic is not going to be suspended. That is just a fine. So, I think they will still nick it, nick it. But the truth, the truth is, Chris Paul going down is probably a semi good sign. It's probably a semi good sign for uh, Monty Williams because he will he forced Monty Williams to go to his bench, and then from going to his bench, 
he was able to bring out someone like Landry Shaman that hit four threes yesterday. Because if Chris Paul was playing, he probably would not get to the, the point of playing Landry Shaman in that game. And then, because Chris Paul is not playing, they have to play fast because they know that exactly but now with someone like campaign, you know, or Booker bringing up the ball, they have to come up faster. Let's see if it translates to uh game five, where you know, maybe the pace of the game, the pace of the game is faster, it helps their ability to also kind of offset Denver's um set defense. But other than that, I don't still I don't still see them, you know. Going to the finals, you see that there. Um, I think Denver, I think Denver will knock them out. I just, I, I just feel like that that bench that is so the, 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 the distance is so much that it would be difficult for them to to overcome. Even though Buka is playing some of the most fantastic um, basketball you've ever seen. Um, quickly speaking of Buka, it seems like he's he's an NBA 2K mode, like he's in video game mode at this point, and he. His efficiency, the scoring, the ability to score is just mind-blowing. Like in the playoffs, for that matter, not even some random regular season games. And you're wondering, okay, at what point did the Nuggets make an adjustment to be like, okay, let's just stop Devin Booker? Or is it a case of, mm, let's let him do his thing. They don't have enough depth to, to succeed. I think the point bullish me that they don't have enough depth is what is what's going to hold them back eventually. Because it's not just that um, Buka had Buka has had like basically a 2K performance. I had a 2K performance. It's fact that the sun squeezed every bit out of him in that game. Like basically everything they could, they, they could get from him, they did. And ultimately, it was only just enough. That is, I think that is where the problem is. As much as Buka elevated his game for that, elevated his performance for that game, it was just marginal. So was them. And a, the thing is. Booker is 26. It is he's still quite young. He's not going to he's not going to bring in those A-list performances, especially in sub high stakes playoffs. Every quite consistently. If he dips, if you can tell that if he dips a bit, they're in trouble. Despite what even what the point tally that KD brought to the party as well. So I just think, in terms of how how far the Booker can take the Suns, it's an interesting future for him and the front and the team itself. But it's not this. It's not this year. As you see, the squad is the squad is. There's no depth in that squad, and there's a lot of there's too much load on Booker's shoulders. Um, I, I want to focus on the players for a while before I even move this particular series. Right? Because now, Polish is mentioning the fact that okay, the songs can go again next year, but can Chris Paul go again next year? He's 38. He just so have, few so that's the beauty of um, having a full off season to plan. They don't have to. So if they go, even if Chris Paul swear use um Shongo and uh, Oya to swear that he can go again next year, it would be foolish and uh, stupid for the Suns to plan for to go next season as with Chris Paul as their main and um, main point guard or maybe the main point guard throughout the season. It would be it would be foolish to think that the thirty nine year old Chris Paul, because I think he's thirty eight now. Yes, 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 yes. So it would be foolish to think that a thirty-nine is going to be your starting point guard on your way to your NBA championship. The fact that LeBron is thirty-nine and doing it doesn't mean that everyone can do it. And the, the proof is in the pudding. In the last, you know, um, four or five, or even even the twenty seventeen series. That's about six years now. Mm-hmm. Chris Paul gets injured in the playoffs. Once he's, you know, 
is unfortunate. Twice is a coincidence. Three is now a you know, is now a fact. Is now a reality that this is what happens. So every playoffs, sometimes he gets injured early, he comes back. Sometimes he gets injured late, he doesn't come back. But every playoffs, he gets injured. So it will fully if the, for a serious team like the Suns to go into next season planning as with the mindset as Chris Paul is going to be there. Um, starting point guard or the main point guard, he has a player option for next season. But I think what will happen is probably have a conversation with him. Uh, maybe they will extend him so that they can reduce his uh, salary cap, salary. Mm-hmm. and then maybe two years, extend two, three years, and then they find someone else to come in and you know play with the guys. Chris Paul might still be the starter. The person will just be someone that they got that's capable. For example, you have someone like Tyus Jones. Or even a Marco Brogdon kind of guy. You get some someone like that. It doesn't have to be like a high caliber, but some functional TJ McCollum, someone that can actually run the offense, that can play fast, play slow, Kylari. See what Kylari is doing for um the heat in the second unit. So you need someone like that that you know that okay. In case, yes, this person is not starting. Say Chris Paul is not available to start. This person can actually comfortably start and run the offense. So they will need to do something like that. So I think for now they just need to scale through these players with what they have, and there are some players that he, he, Monty was not using, but I started using them. Like this Longsdale guy, uh, Terence Ross. I saw a sighting of him. Like the Muslim used to see sighting of Moon, Landy uh, Shamet, as I said, Damian Lee is on the bench. So they are actually Monty too can be a bit flexible. I think some of all these coaches sometimes even Steve Kerr has a problem sometimes where. If you have some guys that you trust to an extent, it's difficult for you to, especially in playoffs where the margin for error is very, very tight and little, it's difficult for you to give opportunity for other guys, you know, to step up and see if they can handle the spotlight. But if you don't give them the opportunity, you will never find out if they can handle the spotlight. But someone can play excellent all through the season, 82 games, but there are 16 game players that, you know, they play well in 16 games. For example, Moses Moody for Warriors, for example, the way he has been playing, even though we have been losing, but the way he has been playing, the, the defense, the comfort, comfort shooting, the um, reading, the where to be on the floor and stuff like that, you are, you are seeing signs that he can actually play in high pressure situation. So, for these players, they have to manage, they have to make the what we have. But I think going forward, they will definitely, I don't want to assume because we've seen uh, general managers make stupid boneheaded decisions, like one that gave five first round picks and three players for a certain. Rudy Gobert, Gobert. I think Damien has proven as a GM of the Suns that he, 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 he's smart about how he does his business and then they will be able to bring him. And again, if you have Devin Booker and Kevin Durant on your team, there are some players that wanted to take um, uh, $20 million with the team. They would just call. Like the way Bobby Portis called Jared Box and said, ah, I can help you guys. Let me come. And Bob Port is a solid you know, second bench player. So you have occasions like that where some people will call you and say, okay, you can never say, what if Portland, Jimenez says, okay, Portland, it's time now. I want to go and join those boys. <laughs> he has to even say something this summer. That's a risky business. Yeah. He has to say something this summer, but that's quite. I don't think the new salary cap will allow it, but that would be a mad, uh, mad squad. That's that's even a conversation for another day because uh, Booker has to say something. I say Booker Lillard has to say something. You already you already spoke earlier that he doesn't want to be part of any review, but time will tell. Um, and then it seems like every time we come for James Harden, 
the next game, maybe he's listening to the pod, he'll be like, I will show you I will show you people. You, I will show you because before, uh, as at this time last week, we we're talking about the fact that oh, we don't expect him to do well, blah blah blah. Then he showed up in game one without Embiid, and I was like, yes, I'm king now. Please uh, drops forty plus points. That's where they win the game. Then the following two games, he went uh, typical James Harden playoff mode. Mm, I'm not really interested. Let's just say it goes scores. I think twenty four points in two games. Then he comes back yesterday, and I'm like, oh, they've criticized me again on Twitter. Here we go again. I will show you people that I will show you people that I'm James Harden. Like this Jekyll and Hyde performance, you are wondering, okay, is this going to be enough to carry the Sixers to the promised land? I think I, I think uh, the major issue with James Harden is not all agree that James Harden is a talented bowler and somebody that intricately understands the game of basketball. But the issue is there's always that roadman in, in Harden that you can't predict when it will come up. <laughs> so, there's always a road man in him that will be like, you know what? I just want to go to Vegas. We are in the middle of a very important series, but let me let me let me blow some steam up. <laughs> so, so I um, I think immediately after our immediately after our podcast, and I was watching the game, and it felt like instinctively, like the guy said that okay, you know what? Some four irrelevant dudes are talking about me and I need to prove to them that I am I am a one-time MVP and I can show you all that I can still put it on on the court. And the fact that he he, he performed very well in game one with was something that was impressive. And I know that game four a little bit can a little bit of blame can go to the Celtics coach Joe. But the fact remains that we can't always keep blaming Joe for, yes, he's a rookie manager. But at the same time, we can't just keep, we can't always keep blaming him for those kind of mistakes. And I will point out that very last shot, that smart, that, that like, it, it, Tatum just went through the Sixers defense easily. And I felt like he could have forced a, a foul or something like that rather than passing it to smart and, Smart not releasing that ball on time. I, I know there's a there's a lot of dynamism to that pick and roll, and a lot of things happened within the last one minute. But at the same time, credit has to go to where credit is due, and we can only just hope for the sake of um, Sixers fans that James had numb down the road man in him. Hopefully, I don't even want to go to RDS because I'm not betting on it. But but fully um, in my own book. As far as I'm concerned, that play is wrong. You guys are trailing by one point. One point, we have, I think, about 20 seconds to go. We have a timeout to use. I'm not going to use the timeout in the next game. I'm not taking it to the next season. Let's use the timeout. <laughs> yes, we're not taking it to the next season. We're not taking it to the next game. We're going to use it in this game here and now. Let's take the timeout. Let's draw a faster play. Let's attempt the shot. If we do not make the shot, we can always foul, send them to the line for two free throws. Then we have a chance to play for three. Not the one, like, at some point, Marcus Smart took about seven seconds to dribble the ball um, to the opposition half, then hands over the ball to Jason Tatum, who then uses another eight to nine seconds to make his move and make his decision, set, uh, scrape, pick and roll before attacking the paint, then passing the ball out. I am wondering, oh, yes, oh, well and good. If you win, ah, everybody's going to call you a genius. But why not give yourself an extra chance to be like, okay, we'll run this play now. If this doesn't work, we'll run this for a second time. 
Can you hear me? Yeah, can I hear you now? I said, why not give yourselves a chance of okay, let's run, take a time out, run this play now. Even if we don't score, we can foul and run another play, giving ourselves two options instead of just one. Um yeah, I think the submission was is um what Brown said that it was a gamble at the wrong time. But it didn't really make it didn't make any real sense. Like they were, it's ironic that a, they were trying to play safe, and it was also the gamble. And and normally, in every Sixers, in every playoff time involving Sixers, when you hear, oh, somebody has bottled it, your thought is, oh, is it? When, when I saw the, oh, someone, uh, they don't bottle them, it was like, oh, yeah, it's Sixers. Was, uh, no, like, this is this is wrong. It's the Celtics that, that is doing it. And um, as Bright said, I think some blame does lay on the part of Mazula, because he's... He's a, he's, a, he's a rookie, and what's one of the things that he has is that he's a very energetic court line manager. Like he moves around, he's quite animated, and sometimes that translates to his players. And if that animation is lacking, it's going to translate to his players as well too. So it feels like, which is probably why he leaves an opportunity for the Sixers because a they are, they are meeting the team with an amateur. basically. A manager who's kind of learning on the job, he's flying the plane while he's in the air. He was learning to fly the plane while he's in the air, rather. And this is this is something Celtics should, should would learn from and should learn from. And Mazula said we will learn from. And luckily for them, again they are up against probably one manager left in this playoff. Oh yes, I can go up against him in Doc Rivers. So again, it's tight. It's on, everybody, everybody knows that one. That is the Rivers. You can go up against him. <laughs> But again, okay, that's worried, man. Tied... You see? My God. Look, we have been here for many years now. Let's not do this. But again, it's it's tied. It's it's still quite open. Let's see how it is. It's a very intriguing subscriber. Honestly, I expected the Sixers to kind of be like done and dusted by now, well, but well, Celtics are giving them real backing. Yeah, so yes, personally, that's fair. I, personally, I think Mazula has a lot of blame because the thing there is. Calling a timeout, there are so many reasons why you call a timeout. It's not just because of the drawing of the play. Mm-hmm. It's about informing the players about the time and score. It's about understanding the matchups. And it was not as if they already had the better position on where the because Marcus Smart was literally walking the ball up. Yeah. And everyone knows that if you if you are trying to if you are trying to what's the call? Except your you are, the scores is equal. If you are behind by one, you have to quickly take a shot and go ahead. It's better for you to defend and then foul the person than for you to uh walk the ball. Than for you to take the last shot when you can when even if you get a rebound opportunity, you can never you can never utilize it. Mazula had two timeouts. In the first place, you could have called the timeout before the end of regulation. Fine, that one happened a open look he missed. But that overtime. Down one, 15 seconds on the clock. You have two timeouts. You're not going to use the timeout to sell Google in Boston. Call the timeout. <laughs> Talk to the players. Yeah, let everybody be aware of the situation, time, clock, and position. What you want them to do, how you want them to do it. You have, you have, you have literally the better squad on the floor. Why is Marcus Smart even on the floor in that play? If you call it, that's even can, like that's even worse. Like, bring him out. You better scored on this. No, and then you t- basically chicken that. You can bring him out. Like, Brogdon in place of uh, Marcus Smart. To run that play, 
get the best shot. Yeah, it's just by one. You just you don't even need a three-pointer. You just need two points. If possible, you just need to get to the foul line. Something. And the thing there is, if you look at Celtics' record this season in crunch time, they've actually struggled. That's why there's a lot of... That's why it looks like there's a lot of emphasis on Mazula. But it feels like, guy, before, when you are winning by 20 or winning by 30, fine, you beat people up. But when the games are close, you struggle. You are a below 500 team in those situations. That is coaching. That is understanding time and score. That is understanding situation and what's your position. Other thing is, how can you have Jalen Brown on your team and then he has only three shots in the fourth and fourth quarter and overtime? Okay. It means you are underutilizing the resources you have. You are not. You, you are not because the job of the coach is to put people in position and utilize the resources you have. If you are not finding ways to utilize them. You guys when you have a situation whereby Atlanta series go six games. This series is probably going to go seven games with the way it's going, with the back and forth and not being assertive. So you 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 need you need more than you know well, and I can't blame you to be honest, but this is his first co- coaching job. Yes, he has an elite team, but it's not everyone that will get to try the first time. So I really can't say I'm blaming him, but this particular loss, some of it, especially in terms of Understand the situation, time and score. Jalen Brown, why are you leaving James Harden on the three point line? Open, like let someone else double Joel Embiid. Uh, uh, Joel Embiid so, yeah. so, so there are so many things that you know you can point to, but still, he has to take a large chunk of not, not just even utilize that timeout to get the best uh play for that for that particular sequence. Um, yeah, Bonnie, should just keep it for a second here yeah, because uh, when we saw you saw the game one between the Knicks and the Miami Heat, Jim Butler did his thing, came to town, they beat the Knicks at home, then he was injured, he missed the second game. And the New York Knicks fans were like, you are not Trey Young. You cannot be formed like a Trey Young. You are not the enemy. Jim Butler was just taking it in like a sponge. I went, like, okay, I'm not Trey Young. I will show you I'm Jimmy Butler. Come game three. And so what happened in game three? Perfect response from Miami. They used to take in home court advantage away from the Knicks. As usual, they did the series 2-1. On with the way this series is going, because even the game the next one at home was a very close one, and Butler was not even on the floor at all. And this is the Miami team, uh, Miami Heat team that has a lot of injuries today. Like obviously Tyler is not available, and one of the other players. The Calaria has played has played well. Kevin Love has come to the party, but Victor Oladipo is also absent due to injury. And after watching that game three, you're like, okay, if this Miami Heat team are fit, no injuries to battle with. Even not let's even forget the players that are out. Like I said. If Jimmy Butler plays, the, the New York Knicks have no chance in hell. I think the the the, the two the what the Knicks the Knicks are never supposed to be here in the first place. Why the Knicks are here is that they punt and bully the Cavs. The Cavs have a more talented roster than the New York. Same, yeah. But what happened was that at the front court, uh, Allen and uh, Evan Mobley were bullied. They were having situations whereby. Robinson was having 11 rebounds and the two of them will have 11 rebounds combined. People that average 9 and 7 and 8 rebounds during the season, then you get to the playoffs and, you have, and both of you are having 11 combined. So they were bullied and punked by the Knicks. Because the Knicks, is not as if they shoot lights out. It's not as if they are... Yes, they have Jalen Brunson that is an orchestrator that they play hard and all that, but they are not the most talented of the squad. But the truth is, you cannot out at work a Eric Spolstra team. It's not going to happen. You have to be more talented than an Eric Spolstra team and also be more hardworking than them. You cannot, like, you cannot win 
based on ah, I'm the one that worked at the most in this series. That's why we want it. Cannot happen to an Expo star because Expo star will get the last blood from all his players, the best he can get from all of them. So that's what you are seeing in this series a situation whereby the Knicks, just because I told you the game three of the Cavs and Knicks game, it was so bad to watch. There's so the shooting blanks, horrible shooting, and stuff like that. The same thing with them this game. Yes, they turned up a little bit in second, but they were shooting horribly in the first half. And then the Heat just took advantage and you know, built their lead and whatnot. I feel like this series, Miami is probably going to take a 3 1 lead because, yes, they are missing some guys, but if Butler plays, and if, because you can't punk them, they would always respond. If you bully them, they will bully back. If you try to be physical, they will be physical back. Like they won't, they won't cower to your physicality. So I don't think the, the pathway for the for the, for the Knicks is they can you know, manandu the Miami guys and then maybe you win the offensive rebound battle and all stuff like that. But the truth is, even the, even itself, no, their dogs will get counted. So those are two they are not going to let go. So I I, I feel like they might get six games. But I think it will close out the series. Um um, anybody, I know that when you saw the prediction of that particular dog that said, oh. The next time I'm going to take a 3-1 series lead, you're probably like, oh, yeah, I like this. The one in Africa said that, yeah, after taking a series, 3-1 series lead, the Lakers are going to bottle it and lose 4-3 to the uh, Warriors. And you were like, ah, even Octopus, Ika, or Octopus, Paul, I was predicting his day. All these predictions don't work, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's been an interesting series to watch so far. Like, the Lakers were absolutely outstanding in game three. But even you people know that you can't bet against the Curry and the Warriors. Yeah, I I think after game three, I I was open, I was publicly open about my opinion of Steph and his team, but I I know criticism have happened, uh, but I want to put my neck out and say, if we take game, if we take game four this night, like Bullish would even know at that point that it's over. I think we can all agree. Today. We are not, we are not, uh, we are not Steph against. Against the Cavs, so it's, it's not happening. I'm very sorry to say this, but we all know. And the fact is that for the for the Warriors to have anything in this game, one, the mm-hmm. their turnovers needs to go down. Their mm-hmm. fouls needs to go down. I'm not saying it's not something that can that can not. Happen. I'm not saying it's not. It's, it's something that cannot happen. But um, we know cast is not as good as our supporting cast. Uh-huh. Which uh, is not. It, uh, we have his time on, on the floor. Go on, go on, go on. So we 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 all know that eventually. Okay, take for example, take for example, game three. Mm-hmm. Defense and a little bit in the second quarter. James was nowhere to be found in the game, but when Baba decided to turn up, we saw what kind of game he had and. For very large chunk of the game, Reeves was nowhere to be found. And what happened? We just brought Walker in, and you know, like there, there are some times when in big games like this, some players would not just work. Like some plays would not just work. Why? Because you are playing against high-level opposition, and respect to the Warriors, they they have one of the best team. We've we've always talked about how magnificent playoffs and all of that. But the fact remains that. They are supporting cast. They will collect. Like he, at this point, <laughs> at, 
as long as I take the gold this night, they will collect like, like say, is it is it money or moody or money or like, like no no, it's like, I know this sounds like a band, but he knows he knows that once I take the nice game, ah she game come out what's in it, he knows now. How about? Did you just do analysis or just do comedy? It, it, it's a combination of both. It's a combination because we, you can I said so. I said maybe you are, you are watching this on a what's it called? What's this radio? Oh, TV. You are listening to it on a Lano. Lano does not. Lano does not like that. See, 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 see. The truth is, if you watch the game three, and if you watch game game two. The difference or what what changed in game three, especially halfway to the second quarter, was I'm not saying we would have won it. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what happened that it, it went from we leading by 11 points to we like I think we had you guys had a 30 to 8 run in the second and then early third quarter it's because we ourselves we stopped playing and started complaining. We had like two technical fouls. We had two flagrant fouls. We had um, what's it called three three defensive seconds. Like we we lost we lost like we're not playing. We're not even playing some of the things that were simple things that we're doing before. We stopped playing. We we had like almost eight ten turnovers in the space of like four minutes. That yes, Lakers was playing good defense, but that all all that is not because of the Lakers. All that's because Golden State. And we had we had situations like that. You see the game five, the game six. Sorry, against Sacramento. Where everyone thought we were going to close out since, and just felt like the warrior just came out and then we just laid an egg and we were not even playing as if we were going to win. The same thing with game five last year in Memphis, where we just were just it all feels like ah, what's going on? That's the same thing that happened. I'm not saying the Lakers will not have won or not, but the way we played, you cannot gauge how the series will go based on that game three because there were so many things that we just stopped doing. Draymond was arguing with the Forest, we got tech. He got um, four fouls. He was off the floor. You can, you can obviously you could do that. But Bonish, do you agree with Elemaje's point that if the Lakers win tonight, it's era? Elemaje does not understand how some of these sequences work because okay, <laughs> okay, no, wait. I will, I will give my point. To, I will prove my point. Wait, to, just wait, continue. Wait. Okay. If you, are, if, you are, if, you are, if you are playing against Memphis, who don't who don't have an experience of coming back for something like this, you say okay, no problem. We literally have come back from 3-1 down before. It's not like we've not done it before. So we've come down from 2-0 down before. Like So except maybe if, if it's a team that has not done it before, then they'll say, okay, ah, they're struggling. They don't know where to break the experience from and stuff like that. But we have done it. We have done it before. The team that had Kevin Durant, the, and that had um, Ross Westbrook, that had Steven Adams, that had Seth Baka, they were like a tall team, like this kind of team too. We figured them out, and then we came back and won three in a row. So it's not something that has not that we have not done before, or that we don't know how to do. And the fact that what happened yesterday happened doesn't mean that uh, you guys doesn't mean that you guys are the better team, or you guys have the better bench. That's a fallacy of a tukukui or whatever it is you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> what, I just, what I just want to tell you is that even I know we are going to win tonight's game, this game four. I know, and, and I know the game is going to be close. But let's say, for example, for some reason you guys win. You, you yourself, even Lakers don't will not be confident to say the series is over. Because if you say the series is over, that's when you that's when you know you'll be punked and you'll be punished. 
So, so I, I'm sure you yourself, if you are going to analyze objectively, you cannot say this is over versus, versus Golden State. Like, 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 I, like I said before, I said it fully around. I said that there are some issues that the Warriors have to address. One, they have to attain more free throws. They have to, they, they have to cause more fouls. And it, like, I am not saying this with all due respect to Draymond Green, but we know that Draymond Green is somebody that that augs, that willingly augs that villain role, but. The Demogreen of the past was one that knew how to balance being the bad guy and actually getting the job done. Now, all those fouls, all those unnecessary fouls need to go down. One. Two, the like at one point in game three, I was I was shocked and I was like, are we really going to win this game like this? Because if it felt like okay, they just stopped playing, like they just gave us the game. You know what? You know what? Let's let's just regroup. And I was like, Considering that tonight is going to be in LA, I didn't see that approach as a very good approach. I, I have to be very honest with you. And I'm saying it again. If the turnovers, I think you guys had 19 turnovers yesterday or day before yesterday. From 44 um, three-point triers or thereabout, the conversion yesterday was very low. A very good comparison is with the Boston that mixes their three-point shooting to aggressively attacking the paint is the fact that there are some days that the Bucket Brothers would not actually work in synchronization. And you need a little bit of attacking the paint. You need to draw those fouls in the paint. And from stupid free throws, free throw conversion rates, I think, of like 42% or thereabout. Like, like, there are some very simple basic indicators that shows that, okay, you know what? If the Warriors keep on playing the way they played, or if they if they put up another game similar to what they did, I know it's a one-off thing, but I am just saying this because eventually, if we win a game four, that is what is going to happen. So that is what that's just what I'm saying. It's something that can be addressed, and I trust that they can address it. So let me just talk his neck out to say. They win tonight, it's a wrap. Only she's telling him that hmm, you, you are going to say crazy if you win tonight. Yeah, not even winning tonight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, that night, you should just even forget about they're not winning tonight. Time definitely with them. Um, um okay, I was going to come to you about doing a police stuff, but um, but before I leave the UMBA scenario, it seems like the box told themselves that uh, regardless of whether Mike Golden Hosa won them a championship in 2021 or not, they don't really care. It's time for him to pack his bags and leave. And some people are questioning the idea of okay, Nick Nurse, um, Mike Golden Hosa, um, I'm trying to remember the name of Lakers former coach now. I won the championship too, and they're, and they're like, okay, is it a case Frank of, Vogel. okay, once this, God uh, bless you, Frank Vogel, the minute they don't win the championship, is it a case of, okay, as soon as you don't win, you can pack your bags and start going? Considering the fact that my yeah. Gooden knows I also lost a family member during the playoffs. So that part, I, I you know, I started hearing about that part when, you know, after the opening um, happened. But the problem with stuff like that is that if players are on the pitch, regardless of what they are going through, nobody cares for them. No one, you know, people are like, so far you strap up, you don't want to hear about it, suit up and play. If you cannot play, don't come. So I, 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 I'm, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but 
I don't think I don't think that. And I think when you go to a press conference and the best player on the team, who literally never talks, is making statements like, "I wanted to guard the guarding, but I just have to respect the coach's strategy." Coach's decision. He's literally, yeah. he's literally saying that coach was responsible for this loss, not me, because I did my thirty and twenty, and I even wanted to guard the best player, but coach not allow. And the truth is. Everyone, even before they won the championship, there talks about him being sacked. Sacked, yeah. If I don't so, they, so the, 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 there were conversations about him being sacked. Why? Because they felt like he was not getting the best out of the talents that he had. And the truth is, yes, you can win one championship. You have Giannis, Middleton, Drolliday, Bobby Portis, Brook Lopez. That's the squad. So it's easy for you to win one championship. But the truth is, a team like Box, it's not every time they are going to get a player like Giannis. So if you don't maximize a player like Giannis to get to create your own mini dynasty, if possible, win two, three in the space of at least you know eight years, it becomes a problem. Or at least have multiple trips to the final. You get so I I it's unfortunate that he's getting sacked for how good of a season he's always had, you know, because obviously he's a very good manager. But he had the same problem even in Atlanta. I know he's going to get a good job even after this. There are many opportunities out there for coaches, you know. Teams that that have stinking managers, but I think I I I can't blame or fault the box for trying to look for someone that you can clearly see in. It's not just about having the best talent, but also having the best strategy that is getting them the wins. That's I think that's what they want to see. They want to see it especially by they can look at the team playing and say, oh, this team, the strategy in place is actually maximizing the team and getting the best out of them. You can look at the Tyloo team, you can look at the Steve Kerr team, you look at the Exposure team, Nick Nurse team, and look at and say, okay, for, yes, they might have some of the best talent, but you can see the strategy being deployed. You know, you can see the change, you can see the adjustments. Coach Ball doesn't make adjustments. He just wants to overpower everything and, you know, run through. Yes, it works sometimes because you have Yanis and lights, but it doesn't work every time. So, I, I kind of saw the, the firing coming, especially, you know, you want to you don't want a special whereby next year and that story story comes up, then you are entering Yanis renewal and Yanis has only won one title in 12 years. Someone that you know people are saying ah, you want to MVP better player that people are talking about him as a what's it called as a, supposed to be top 10 player top, or this things, yeah. Top, you know, that kind of list. Then he has only one league, one title. Then it will have the people that be whispering into his ears. But you know, if you go to Miami. <laughs> if you go to if you go to Golden State, you can still play with those boys. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think because this new salary cap. I think we need to take one episode to to really discuss the new salary cap and changes. I don't think any team is going to be able to afford. <laughs> I don't think I don't think to afford three max players anymore. In the way the new salary cap was designed, you are good. max. You be able to afford only two max players. The way they have, they have designed it, they want. They want the third mass player in one team that is urging them to go to a lesser market so that they can spread the wealth around. That was the explanation behind it. It's very stupid, but that's the new style cap. We need to find an episode to discuss the news. Um, like I mentioned earlier at the beginning, 33 years after the Guamando Maradona got rest his soul, Napoli are champions, we're happy for them, they've done things that they're interesting. But in Italy, it's enough. It seems like okay, football is more decided also because racism is more of the main hustle. Because on these official serial Twitter accounts, 
you would think the most important thing in the history of Napoli winning this title was um Kivyach Kavrashvelia or Kavradona, like his nickname. Quara, Quara. Um, Don't lose him. Quara. Mm. Just call him Quara. <laughs> His name and all those things. So I am wondering, okay, but Osimhen is currently the top scorer. Why are you celebrating Kivya Kavras failure? Like, oh, he was the only one doing all these things. There was a bad player that's your best player, your top scorer. Forgot it. Like it's. It's quite ridiculous. ridiculous. First of all, I could even understand with the first one, the whole the fact that they call him Varadona. Okay, maybe that's why the whole Maradona crown thing. But the fact that everyone who's seen Serrat, who's covered Serrat, is understand that Napoli with Osimen and Napoli without Osimen are different entities. The literally Napoli without Osimen is the reason why they got they got knocked out of the Champions League, but they know I was mm-hmm. for the first leg. That's basically it. The most incredible thing was that after that one, Serrat doubled down after Napoli beat Fiorentina, where the only goal was scored by Victor Osimen. They now did another one with Varaskelia again, like another one of him, like ascending towards from a tunnel to the stadium. Like, oh yes, this is still the new king. It's almost like the like yeah, we saw we saw what you said, but not lie, say racism is for this place. Like it's ridiculous. Like, I've never seen a league so committed to being racist before. Like like Sarah, like a sporting entity so committed to being racist. Like even NFL is learning is learning where Sarah is at this point. And the worst part is, by the time the numbers come, financial numbers come in, and the Premier League is making more money, those Thailand journalists will come and tell you that this is unfair. The English League is a super league. You're not making no money. They're, they're treating us unfairly. But no problem. Continue marketing racism. You guys have not had empty stadiums yet. You will still have more. Um, even from the Syria app, LMJ, the Champions League, it's Champions League week, and um, the big boys are in town. Obviously, the game to watch out for is none other than the City Real Madrid game. And for when we need to come outside and be like, Man City are not only going to defeat Real Madrid, they are going to absolutely destroy them. And you're wondering, okay, City are that good. Is it that Real Madrid have become that poorly? Or does we only want to play for Man City at some point when it comes out of retirement? No, I, I, I. I, I think for the last three months, I've stopped siding with anything that has to do with Ronaldo. But I need to shift back a little bit now and say, the only issue with Waza is he loves attention. And whenever the spotlight is not on him, he finds something erratic to do, like saying to his um, players in Atlanta that, you know what, I have a small cock. And I don't know how that <laughs> motivates players anyway. So I, I think whatever he's doing is also just another intelligent to, to say, you know what, I can still be relevant. Even though I'm a terrible manager, but I must still be relevant. I'm United IS goal scorer and the world must know I am still alive. Because anybody that has been watching football for a little while, even if it is less than a decade, you will know that irrespective of how terrible Madrid has been or will be in their league, they still find a way to pull out their magic art. I was watching Man City's game um, who was it that Man City was dismantling of late? And I was like, you know what? The only thing that can actually save Real Madrid is that they are jinx. And I was being sincere. For anybody that knows me, you know I don't like Man City. I don't like Pep Guardiola. But the Man City team so coercive to the fact that Pep has done some very ridiculous things this season, like uh, Merez scoring an hat-trick in the FA 
and the next week you you just say you know what Oga go and sit down on the bench I want to use uh, I want to use folding or I am using somebody else today and that is just how coercive this Man City team has been but we we saw the second leg of Chelsea game how Madrid didn't turn up for like 64 minutes and when when the gong came calling they did what they had to do so I understand when you're only sentiments that Man City has been phenomenal this season, but at the same time, you have to <laughs> you have to slap a little bit of respect to Aseluti and his men because whenever the going gets tough, that is when they show up the most. Um, Bolish, it seems like we are doing a massive disservice to the other semi-final clash because everybody seems to believe like okay, if I'm with Massimiliano, are probably going to end up as Champions League winners, but. There are, two, there are four teams in the semi-finals, and there are two other teams. Yes, there are several teams from the same city in Milan, but one way or the other, it's still a clash that we have to look forward to. And besides, it's a final, anything can happen. So for the likes of Inter and AC, they're probably looking at themselves that, okay, we need to get past the semi-final. Then when we get to whichever bridge it is as a final, we're going to cross it. But for now, on people, both of them are looking at themselves like, okay, this is not a Champions League game anymore. This is a local game. Using two lookout teams and a rev because and we are not to be to be fair, we are not that interested in CIA. Let me let me quickly interrupt you. Let me quickly interrupt you. Mm. I, I was watching Syria game for the past couple of weeks, and they would be like uh, there's a ad of Fabio Capello, and everybody will say Cashio is back, and I'm like Eh, Parabale now, we all know how you people, we know your game. We know how you play your game. You will, after, you will go for, on hiatus for four years again. So, I, I, I think the, the way the draw, you know, the way the draw was done, obviously worked in their favor. But I, I don't want to take any credit away from them. But still, I, I don't think, we all know that uh, as much as, if Madrid meet anybody in the final, if Madrid find their own final, I don't care. If they like, they should do AC and Inter joint eleven. If I see that can get the final and mess up with Man City, because maybe Guardiola will not play strike out. But luckily this time around, he has Alan that he cannot overlook and the time person, so he has to play. But if Madrid should get to the final, even if four players have to do it, and only six players are available, and all of them are wearing semi tape on their leg. So far, they see that that trophy. Forget any. I don't care what any other team, whether it's in town, whether it's in CEO, whatever they will do, they will chop it in that final. <laughs> so that's why I think the Madrid and um, City game is um, quite important. Now, the flip side or the maybe the um, kind of positive for City is probably because the second leg is in England, so maybe. You are in charge of the crowd. You are in charge of the motivation. You are in charge of the the the, the Benabiu nights. Because if we go and look at that last season, all those massive crazy uh, turnaround came in the second leg where they had home advantage in the second leg where they mm-hmm. see PSG and even uh, City game. And you know, we sometimes we underrate how important the fans shouting your name and you know ailing you and giving you motivation and giving you boost. You know, you run that extra mile, you run that extra, you know, everything you do, it kind of, you know, gives you that impetus to go for that. So, I, I think that's one thing Man City probably be happy about. And again, I think I've seen Man City play more compact games recently than I used to see them before. You know, it's not just about all-out all, all out attack and stuff like that. I've seen them play contained game. Yes, they are still going to be 
with possession and three. Because that second leg of the Bayern game, yeah, Bayern had chances they could have scored, but Man City played a bit more compact, a bit more uh, controlled. Uh, a a City from three years ago probably have considered three goals in the first half of that game. So it's going to be an interesting game, obviously. Both legs will be so exciting because Madrid will never give a ramble, cockroach, you know the guy. So Man City, Man City um, have to take their foot off the pedal. Um, fully in the Europa League, you know that um, Leverkusen face from it, it's a case of the unstoppable force versus the immovable objects. But the, the, the tight watch out for in the Europa League semi final, obviously, is Juventus Sevilla one. And I'm wondering what we are Sevilla are going to teach Juventus the meaning of the Europa League because they always find a way to get it done. He, like, there's some things are just meant to be like Sevilla and the Europa League. Sevilla have been terrible in the, in the Spanish league throughout this season. They're probably like 13th or so. And yes, in every Europa League game, they've looked like almost a cut above everyone else. And just seems like the Europa League knows his way home to, uh, to Sevilla. Like, because the manager was the manager is one who is known for fighting relegation in in Spain with Osasuna, mm-hmm. Deportivo, mm-hmm. and Eva and And yeah. suddenly, suddenly he's in the Europa League semi final. And honestly, I don't see. Um, Juventus do yeah, getting getting above Sevilla in this one because uh, Juventus don't have anything to like outsmart Sevilla tactically, and no no no, this is the most enterprising attack. So Juventus cannot catch them with guard. So basically, I won't be surprised Sevilla win first leg one zero and then second leg is goalless and they get to the final again. Do it and they do business as usual. Um, um, away from the Europa League, um, because initially at some point a few weeks back, we all felt like okay, Liverpool had no chance of qualifying for the Champions League, only like he was done and dusted, he might not even make it to Europe. The next thing you know, Newcastle and United started doing this dance of oh, we don't want to play Champions League anymore. Then they have conveniently dragged Liverpool into the title race that they didn't want to, into a top four race that they didn't want to be a part of. I'm like, hey, hey, come on, join us, let's let's uh, let's make this interesting before the end of the season. I'm wondering. Liverpool could eventually find a way. Yeah, it looks like Liverpool could find a way. But the thing that um for Newcastle and it's like that's where by and they say a bear is chasing two people. And someone is like, Okay, I don't have to outrun the bear, I don't have to outrun the second person. At this point, if it's like United mind mind you are the second person, because even Newcastle will be like, Oh yes, we are struggling. Okay, United are struggling, never mind. Because five games ago, United was twelve points ahead of my United. Five, that's five games ago. And since, if you watch Man you played since then, they've looked so tired, they've looked so shaky. Like it feels like it's, the play matches is, is so stressful for them. They're just waiting for it to end. I guess when uh, West Ham yesterday was the same thing. Like they, they just they went just kept going through the motions, and West Ham should have scored more. I guess as if like they got lucky, which is why, honestly, I I see Liverpool peeping them to that fourth place. Because what one thing you have to have is that Newcastle are still playing very well. Um, I guess as nice easily could have won that game or at least gotten something from the game because they mm-hmm. were very good. They were just unlucky. United don't seem to have anything, and and usually around this time, like 2015, 2017, even under Van Gaal, under Mourinho, it was this time where um, the guy usually builds them out, make some ridiculous teams, some matches. United win two one, and that's now the guy is part of the problem. Like nobody is elevating that squad doing anything. It just it's just like the legs are gone. Even Rashford saw as deep the beat. So and those feel like United are waiting for the season to end. So and f- missing out of top of would be a disappointment. Which would be like a disaster 
given where they started the season, but it would definitely be a disappointment given how far, they how come. far, it, how much it gap they've mm. set to Liverpool and how Liverpool were struggling in the past few weeks. It just seems like, yes, their season is ending on a sour note. And it also goes to tell us that, yes, they, uh, let's not fall for the allure of the past five, four months or so. United still have a long way to go in terms of matching with the elite. Um, on a final note, Polish has a report that um, Lionel Messi has a bombastic side eye offer from Saudi Arabia. Money that can change countries, not even people's life, countries' life, and everything. And yes, it's also the allure of the emotional returns. Because let's face it, we all know, like, anyway, I don't want to say we all know. In my books, we already know that, okay, we see, we, we see the EU PSG drama and we know that, okay, it's definitely not going back the next season. Is out of it already. So it's now a case of okay, can this money wait while I do this emotional last dance with Barcelona if they can find a way with Harriet Tebas to make it work? Or do I just tell myself that mm, please the earlier the better I start collecting this money? So the thing there is, I think one season or two seasons, that money is to be there after. Because Messi is not the um, athletic like jumping, you know, bicycle kick. He's a controlled kind of player, like he plays controlled. Yes, he will not be as effective as now. But for Saudi Arabia, I think in, in a season or two, that's uh, what's called that offer to be I also like we need that a proper send for Messi. There needs to be that proper farewell for him. The way he left is not benefiting for Messi as, as what he means to Barcelona. Messi is Barcelona. Whether you go to the old East or when Barcelona was created in the 18th century, or you go to the year 2000s, or you come back to the present day, Barcelona, yes, we had our pedigree, history, and all that before Messi, but Messi solidified Barcelona as a club of pedigree with the trophies, with the appearances, with the, with the success, with records, almost every record you can think of goals, assists, appearance, whatever. It's probably, if it's not the number one, it's probably number two or number three. And it's not just at the first team, even Bakabi, even the juvenile. So when you have someone like that, the way he left was not proper, where the fans they were not able to celebrate him, were not able to do him proper centers. I don't know, maybe he goes to Saudi Arabia and then maybe comes back in two years' time and just plays from the bench. And but I, I I I I feel like he has to come back and properly get a like a tour of games where a season where we are just celebrating him and appreciating what he has done for the club. I don't know if that's going to be possible with the um, uh, what's it called with the payment stuff, but we are hearing rumors of something like what happened with um, Qatar, PSG and Neymar where um he got sponsorship to the ambassador for World Cup. He took the money, paid his release plus. So I it's obviously not going to be exactly like that we are hearing but we are hearing stuff like that can go on and then there's Already stories out there about someone like um, Rafinha wanted to go to Chelsea. We don't mind. Bring on the player. So we are hearing stuff like that too. So if if someone like Rafinha leaves, for example, the players, you know, the players we have, most of them are have actually reduced their wages by lots. And then next next season there's going to be a rebuild of the stadium. Yeah, I think they, they started the they, they are going to start in about maybe two weeks or so. So I I I I I am emotional about it. I want him to come back. It will be very you know very 
like important for him to come back because he's the biggest thing that has ever happened to our club. He's the best in the history of the world, he's the greatest of all time, the greatest in the history of Barcelona. It's, it's just only proper that the club where he has spent most of his life gives him a proper um respect, adulation, and it's just like imagine Steph Curry goes to maybe Carolina for two seasons. It just makes sense for him to just come back in Golden State and retire, get one, even if he's not starting, get in the stadium um, reference and stuff like that. And to be honest, we actually to we actually need him for his football acumen because one of our biggest problems is chances created. You don't look at our start this season. We play solid defense. We have some group of midfielders. No injuries have you know have been, we've been very unlucky with injuries at the at the at critical times in the season. But one of our big problems, even when everybody's fit, is creating enough chances. And when you have someone like Lewandowski, you have someone like Fatty that is beginning to round off the form. You have people like if you have runners like that in front, a creative person like Messi will always be very useful. If you have a solid midfield of people like De Jong, Pedri, Gavi, workaholics working together with him. And that's what Argentina had. You, know, you have McAllister, you had Rodrigo, Rodrigo, Depaul. You had people that were working together with him. So you, you cannot call, bring Messi and say you want to expect Messi to be closing down, which is the stupid thing that PSG is probably expecting. You are putting PSG in midfield with uh, in Ketike and Tomumu and expect that you will be pursuing uh, Musiala in the Champions League game. So, you need to have a balanced midfield of strong, young, working guys that will work with him and depend on his creativity and techniques to just sprinkle magic here and there for you to be successful. So, I'm obviously speaking from a piece of bias, but I don't know if it can be done, but I really, really wish it could be. It, it, all, it all makes for an, for an exciting story and romance, but wow, it's been a, an action pack episode. Like, if, if you would want like an action pack one and at this point, we wish we could go on, but we have to call it quits at this point. Thank you so much, guys, for being here. Um, LMJ, I know that you have you a lot of that Ronaldo started fighting with people in uh, Saudi. Please, let's not talk. Before they start calling us hitters, because Pierce Morgan even tweeted yesterday after my United lost that, oh, if Eric Tenhag had not chased Ronaldo out, that Pierce Morgan is demented. Yeah, we're not supposed to be mentioning him on this. It's never about to win yet, demented. Once he got to Ronaldo, Pierce does not have a sense again. Is the clout, he just wants that clout. Pierce has emotional crush on Ronaldo. Yes, I know. The, so, I, I know it's clout. Yeah, I know Pierce Morgan is a clout chaser, but still, it's not just about clout. Clout, clout. When it comes to Ronaldo, he loves him. Like there's an emotional connection. Then <laughs> he loves him. Pierce only loves people that make him popular. If Elon Musk should call him tomorrow, he's probably going to fall in love with him too. Um. Anyway, like I mentioned, guys, thank you so much guys, for being here. So our listeners, have a lovely week ahead, and until next week again. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, guys. Good night.